listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. This morning we're continuing our Forward for Eternity series. And we're doing it this morning with a look at the church's defining characteristic, our love. As we read earlier this morning, in John chapter 13, Jesus said the words, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And to start this morning... I just want you to soak in and think about those words of Jesus Christ. By this, all will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Our love should be the divining characteristic of our church. Your love should be one of the most attractive things on earth to be a part of, the love that we have in the church. And when you step back and consider this, it truly is the number one thing that convinces the world of the truth of the gospel. It's not our defense of the faith, even though apologetics and, and, uh, and understanding these, these deeper th- aspects of our faith is very helpful has a great place and it's very helpful for believers, that's not the number one defining characteristic that will draw people to Jesus Christ. It's not even our changed life, the testimony of who we once were and who we are now, even though that is very, very powerful. That there very much helps, but a lost person who doesn't know Jesus can look at that and say, well, oh yeah, a lot of religions teach behavior modification, So that alone isn't simply going to be what shines the light on the truth of the gospel. The ultimate thing that convinces the world of the truth of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's come to do and how he loves us and saved us, it has to be our love. But the question is, is that actually happening? Is it? Is your love one of the most attractive things to be a part of in the entire world? And if it's not doing the job, why is that? It's a good question, is it not? It's a very big question, and it's a personal question. Being saved by the grace of God and adopted into into his family and being redeemed and called into his church, it's being part of something that is bigger than you yourself individually. And that should be the most attractive thing on earth to be a part of, but it's not always. And the question that we're going to answer today is, why is that? Why is the church not always the most attractive thing on earth to be a part of? But let's back up for a second, regain our footing, because I just dropped a very big scenario on you, right? That's a pretty deep question. So we're in this series, we're going through the book, uh, excuse me, the chapter of Romans 12, and right now, 
our church has a very big opportunity in front of us to step out in our faith um, to, to, Lord willing, get our first building where we can have a new outreach post into this community and to the world beyond. So, so yes, we're in this series. We're talking about advancing as a church, moving forward for eternity. It's, it's a way bigger deal than just us and just what we feel and what we, what we want from a church. It's about how we can be a part of something that is so much bigger than us that spreads to the uttermost parts of the earth. And as we've gone through Romans 12, we've talked about worship. We've talked about sacrifice. We've talked about sacrificially serving and using your gifts for others. Today, we're going to be talking about walking in Christ. And to walk in Christ is to walk in love. You can't spend time with your Savior in his word without feeling his love and then showing that love. So in this entire Forward for Eternity series, it isn't just on generosity and stewardship and raising capital to purchase our first building, which would just be a tool for God's glory. It is that, partially, but there's way more behind it. It's about the heart, the passion, and the lifeblood of our church, who we really are. And behind it all, we want you to grow as a Christian into someone who is ready and willing to sacrifice out of love for others, for the cause of Jesus Christ. It's like Francis Schaeffer said, love on display in the church is Jesus' final apologetic to the world. And I fully believe that if we grow in this area, evangelism and outreach would be a whole lot easier. Because at the end of the day, it's not how smooth our worship service is or how many programs we offer. Those things are nice. Absolutely. But if people see how much we truly love one another... And they see how confident and secure you are in your freedom in Christ that motivates you to love others. They would crave what we have. Do you crave that? Yes. Thank you. I know, I know a lot of you do. I, I certainly do. So how can we have this kind of love? And how, come this, how, how does the church seem to miss this so often? Please open up your Bible with me, if you're not already there, to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to begin in verse 9. And we have been slowly working through this chapter because it has a lot to say about worship and love and sacrifice. And as we move forward, it's important to remember everything Paul says in Romans 12, and for, mat for that matter, the rest of the, the book, is an explanation of what a life lived in response to the gospel actually looks like. He started this chapter in verse 1 with this crucial phrase. Therefore, in light of the mercies of God, this is what your life should look like. So that's the context that we're in. You can't forget, only knowing the grace and the mercy of God, first and foremost, can produce this kind of love. So you have to start there. But in verses 9 and 10, we're going to see three truths that are indispensable to loving the way you should. Loving in a way that makes the church the most attractive thing to be in, in the world. And I know that's a bold statement. So follow along with me as I read Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, 
hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And we're going to stop right there with our text this morning. What a loaded four-letter sentence. Do you see that in verse 9? Let love be genuine. That's a very powerful sentence. That is loaded. We all like genuineness, of course. As a matter of fact, we crave genuine realness. And one of the reasons why is because it's so rare in our world. So let's talk about this. To truly walk in love, you can't fake it. Number one, the first point today is love people genuinely. This simply means that our love should be sincere and without hypocrisy. Now, if you're like me, this is where you immediately start getting a bunch of specific illustrations of specific people or types of people popping in your head, right? We all know that person. Oh, how are you doing? Like, over the top, just coming in strong with the charm and laying that on so thick. You, you have specific people in your head, like names of people that, 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 uh, that feel that way. They come across so genuine and so, lo- well, loving, we'll say. Can, it really be, can they really love me that much? Can they really be that happy, right? You, you know that type of person, right? And I'm not saying all those people are fake, but I'm just saying you probably have some names flashing through your head where they're warm and polite on the outside, but behind your back, they're making snide remarks about the shirt that you're wearing, right? Most of us have had our fair share of run-ins with those kind of people, and it's such a turnoff. The worst is when you get the wool pulled over your own eyes and you think someone is sincere because they came across so thoughtful, they even make you feel good, only to find out that they were jealous or that they didn't really care about you at all. They only cared about advancing themselves. So when I say be genuine, everyone in this room is like, Preach it, David. Yes. <laughs> that person over there, that fake phony, I found out that they were fake. That's so wrong. It's so destructive. Yes. But I'm not talking about that person in your head right now. Okay? <laughs> we're personalizing this, remember? That's what we're here for. You're listening to a sermon, and I want you to apply it to your own heart. So my point isn't to talk about them. I'm talking to you. And you have to personalize this yourself. Are you just polite, warm, and kind? Or are you polite, warm, and kind because your heart is full of what Jesus did for you, of who God is and what he has done for you? It's a big difference. Some of Jesus' strongest words in the Gospels were about people who lived a life of phony love. The Pharisees, they mask their spirituality. And and today, that still goes on. 
And maybe it's a spirituality mask. Maybe it's an altruism. Like there's a lot of things you can do to pretend to be someone that you're not to make yourself look good, even to make certain people feel good because you like those people for now <laughs> because of what they provide and offer you. But Jesus called the hypocrites of his day whitewashed tombs. Beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, full of dead man's bones. And the closer you get to someone's heart, the more you sense their true motivations. At the end of the day, no amount of politeness or peppy personality can cover up what's rotting on the inside. So Julie's home with, with Beckham and Dawson today. Um, you know, it's, so we've got half our family here. But I tell you what, when we went, when our family went from, from three, two kids, Beckham and Paxson, to three kids, it was surprisingly not as big of a hurdle as I thought it was going to be. Maybe that's because Monroe has like both my wife and I's best personality traits combined. Um, and, you know, she helps a lot. Like she takes wit, like after her mother more than any of our other kids. So that's a huge bonus. Um, maybe that was part of it. Um, but when we went to Dawson and had a fourth kid, we started really noticing it. Wow. Okay. Like there's, and we're running around. We're doing a lot. Our other kid, our Beckham and Paxton are getting older. So our minivan is very active and it is, is very used. All right. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. So as, as we run around from place to place in our minivan with our four kids, I have to admit over the last like six months, a couple times we've had a mystery smell in the minivan and we can't discover the source of that mystery smell. Um, and if we just give it a really quick clean, like, hey, everybody pick up the trash, throw it away, like, like it doesn't fix the problem. <laughs> we have to do a very thorough, deep clean into every nook and cranny in the inner resources of the van to find, oh, there's that diaper. <laughs> that we thought was thrown away, and it was not, right? When you have something deep, deep, deep within the recesses, it can produce a foul odor if it's not taken care of, right? If it's just left there to sit there and rot. Um, and no amount of air freshener in your car is going to mask those funky smells. We've tried that too. It doesn't work. So... Paul is saying here that if you step back and analyze hypocrisy, it's what it's like. It's like that dirty diaper lost deep in the crevices of your van, and no amount of Febreze politeness can fully and ultimately cover that up. Paul says our love should be different. It's not self-serving. It's not to make ourselves look good or feel better or step higher. Our love is to be genuine, not fake, even when people are annoying and not super fun to be around. And that right there is where Romans 12, verse 1, comes back into play. Remember Romans 12, 1? We started the sermon with that. According to the mercies of God to present your body as a living sacrifice. People, only people who have been moved by the gospel of Jesus and seen the love of God in their own life and have a transformed heart, have this sweetness in worship where they truly have sacrificial, genuine love. There's a recognition in your worship of how much you owe to God. 
And people who feel this don't show up on Sunday just to listen to a good worship, worship music and to, and to feel better about themselves or, or they don't just show up to church because they jive with the speaker and they hear a really great sermon. No, they know I was once lost, but now I've been found. I'm overwhelmed with the goodness and loving kindness of God, and I'm going to love, forgive, and sacrifice because that's what Jesus did for me. So what if that's not you? What if that's not quite you? What if you know Jesus Christ, but you don't really always love from a pure heart? If you're being honest, your love isn't always genuine. Do you just say, forget it, I got to be myself, and chuck out kindness? No, that's not the answer either. What you do is you walk with Jesus Christ. It's really that simple. Because the only way genuine love is going to grow in you is to go to the source, to get to the heart of it. Just like you can't mask the mystery smell in your van, you also just can't manufacture a fragrant smell out of thin air. It's impossible. You may pull it off temporarily somehow, but it won't last. The only way your kitchen smells good is when you have like the oven on for four hours on 250 and you have just the right amount of seasoning in that roast and it's just baking in the oven for a really long time and you walk into your kitchen and you're like, oh, wow, let's eat, let's, let's go. I noticed I put that illustration at the beginning of the sermon here, not at the very end. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, but if there's something good cooking in the oven, in your heart, it's going to produce a good smell. So if you want to walk in love and, uh, and embody the most attractive thing to be a part of on earth, you have to walk with Christ and you have to feel his love. And it all goes back to the grace and the mercy of God that you have received. You have been given that. So stop pretending, repent of your sin, and feel the love of Christ. And as I have reflected on this this week, I've done a lot of self-reflection in my heart. And I have spent a fair share of time thinking about the fake people that I've come across over the years as well. There's a lot of fake people. I haven't always noticed it right away. As a matter of fact, my wife, Julie, has like a sixth sense about this. She, I've learned over the years of being married, like she can peg it way before I can. I'm, I guess I'm just too much of a positive person giving people the benefit of the doubt. Oh, no, they didn't mean that, really. No, it's going it's to work out great. Like, I have to, I've learned to listen to Julie on this. But there's something that I've seen. And oftentimes, the trickiest, hypocritically loving people are the Christians who genuinely do have some love. Are you with me on this? They actually do have some love. There's part of them that loves, and they most certainly do love some people. They may even love God, but there's two common denominators that rear their ugly head and in the end cause pain and hurt through being ungenuine. You know what they are? Pride and selfishness. And here's the scary thing about pride and selfishness. They create fake, ungenuine love. What is true about pride and selfishness? We all struggle with pride and selfishness. 
So we all have the tendency to fall into an ungenuine sort of love. It's a very real threat for all of us. We have to take, take that seriously. And the root behind pride and selfishness is, is, uh, is putting something else, maybe yourself, over the love of God in your life. So you can literally say, I'm quick to repent. And at the same time, get defensive and accusatory towards someone who brought up something that you didn't want to hear. You can love God and love people who love you. And at the same time, because of your own inner selfishness or pride, do the right thing with the wrong heart to make yourself look good. And we all love to throw stones at the fake girl who smiles to your face and shoots daggers the second you turn your head. But the truth of the matter is, we can all struggle with pride and selfishness, which will lead to a phony love. So let your love be genuine. And again, the only way to do that is to walk with Jesus Christ, to see his love for you. Jesus doesn't help the fake you Jesus died on a real cross for the real you. And only when you expose the real you and admit that you have some false motives stemming from pride or some vainglory stemming from selfishness, only when you do that will he remove the foul smells and replace them with an attractive, beautiful aroma. So that's the first way that we must walk in love. Here's the second way. Look at the rest of verse 9. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. To abhor is to detest. It means to be horrified at what is evil. To hold fast, some translations there will say cling. It's the idea in the original. It's, it's just like, like gluing yourself inseparably to something. You do that to what is good. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Okay, sure. Sounds just like something a pastor would say, right? <laughs> Isn't that what every Christian says? Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. But what does that have to do with love, you ask? Did, did Paul just throw that in there? What that means is your love should be grounded in God's truth. Not what someone's feeling or what the shifting culture is pressuring you to support, okay? Number two today is love enough to tell the truth. Let's be honest. We're going to get serious here on this point. But our world is tragically confused about love. The world says love is love. Meaning you can love whoever you want to love. Whatever your heart desires, go for it and love that person. Sounds sweet, right? Who could disagree with that? How unloving to tell someone you, you can't love who you, who you want to love. It sounds terrible. Sure. But let's just cut to the chase. I'm gonna get, I, I told you this is going to get heavy for a second, all right? It would be ridiculous and weird to love a horse the same way you love a woman. So there's got to be a line somewhere there, right? Right? 
most people at this point in time still say you can't love a minor the same way you love an adult. Keep in mind that I said the majority of people right now say that because there is a rise of quote unquote minor attracted persons in our country. And there's momentum behind that the same way there was momentum behind the homosexuality movement in our country 40 years ago. You can say love is love all you want, but what does that mean? What is the definition of love? Our world doesn't even know. They call physical attraction love. They call enjoying a science fiction IP love, right? Like, we call it all love. So there has to be a standard of truth outside of yourself. Because if everyone has their own truth, what do you do if one truth contradicts the other? Logically, if two completely and utterly contradictory ideas that oppose one another, they both can't be true. So if we can't determine truth, who does? Who can? No one can but God. The creator of the universe reveals truth in his inspired word. So we have to align our feelings to his truth. We are fallen, and even as image bearers of God, we have inherited a sin nature. So we don't always crave what is true. We don't always crave what is pure. And it's not up to us to determine what love is and what truth is. Our creator has designed us, and he tells us how not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So our culture is lost. And most of us will admit that it's pretty jacked up. But where most people go wrong is they fall back under their own education, onto their own intuition or their own feelings of what sounds best to them. And it's like the days of judges. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. So someone can say, I was born in the wrong body. I'm not a man. I'm a woman. And our country is under attack with this spiritual warfare, which is really demonic. It's an attack on God's created order. So you see it everywhere. Men are feminized and women are pushed into being more masculine. Ten years ago, most people would laugh at you if you told them women athletics and women athletes were being erased and demoted by biological men pretending to be women. I mean, it goes against science. How could our country go for that? How could that ever happen? Of course not. Well, here we are. Because truth is set aside for their feelings, that's where we're at. But now the world will label you a bigot for speaking obvious truths that everyone used to know. It's like Isaiah 5 verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And we're already at this point where very few people are bold enough to say that homosexuality is the same distortion of truth and rejection of God's created order as all the other things I mentioned. 
Even Christians have been working it into, I can find a way to make the Bible agree with this. And it doesn't matter that LGBTQIA and on and on it goes, all proves to you that they're one and the same. (laughs) Many people have caved and we already have Christians twisting the Bible to prove the point that they want it to say. It's not going to be long until someone twists the Bible to say that polygamy and you name it, whatever their fallen nature craves fits in within their faith. Now, I've just painted a very grim picture. I told you it was going to get heavy for a minute. But here's what I want you to know. No matter where you stand on any of this right now, God loves you. That's the most important thing. And despite everything you hear from the world, the world has lied and it has duped many people into thinking what they feel and what they desire is their identity. And this is a massive topic that we don't have fully enough time to go into today. But if you're steeped in this and this is new to you and you can't believe I'm saying what I'm saying, this is the first time maybe you've ever heard somebody say this. I just want you to hear me. I'm not attacking you even though you've been conditioned to feel that way. I love you enough to tell you the truth. And that's what we're talking about in this passage. Even though it's not what you want to hear, God's way is better than the way your heart is pulling you. Contrary to popular opinion, it's not loving to enable someone and to support a lie by telling them what they want to hear. It's not loving to let someone believe a lie and reject God's plan for their life. So I'm not against you, and I'm not saying this because I want to get in there and just cause contention and I want to ruin your day. I'm not saying any of that. I don't want you to not like me, but I honestly love you enough to tell you this is God's will for you. This is the way God created you. And even if your fallen nature and your sinful desires are craving something different and contrary to God and his will, we can't pretend that his will isn't clear. We were watching a a, uh, baking show, the, the Great American Baking Show last night. We love watching the Great British Baking Show, and now they brought it to America. And, And we were sitting there as a family just watching this and... One of the guys just drops in there, just happened so fast for me and my husband. And Paxson just blurted out, wait, what? That's weird. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, all right. We're going to be reading Romans 1 tonight, okay? We're going to have to explain this. Let's just read Romans 1. I mean, we can talk about this truth a long time, and there's a lot to go into. But what I want you to hear from me is, We love you because God loves you and we want to tell you the truth. You've been told your identity rests in something that's that's not your real identity, okay? So love people enough to tell the truth. Don't be fake. Don't wimp out. Don't cave to pressure. Trust God. Believe God. And just love people. You can love a person without accepting everything about them, right? The world doesn't want that, that to, be, to, to be out and <laughs> to be known. But it's, it's true. I can, I can disagree with someone and still love them as an individual. 
And a love that won't warn you against the dangers of evil and distortion of truth ultimately isn't love. When you won't tell the truth to someone, what is motivating you is not love for them or affection for them. You are afraid. It's fear. So you're afraid of losing their affection more than you love them. And if you are choosing the benefits of your relationship rather than loving them and going there with truth, your love isn't genuine right there. Let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And I know what I'm saying right now is very countercultural, but I want you to hear this next verse. Because if you step back and think about it, the people who claim tolerance, the tolerance police, the people who shout the loudest about inclusivity and equity, those are the same people that are the most vicious, unforgiving people out there. They don't have genuine love. Instead, they are driven by anger, bitterness, hatred. And the second you step back and listen to their tone, you can see that. So in contrast to that, I want you to hear this next verse. And you tell me, is this next verse, verse 10, is it exclusionary or is it something else? Let's look at it together. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do you see how much is packed in these two verses when you get the full context of all of this? Now, remember, these are the marks of a true Christian. This is how we walk in love with one another. And even in a broader extent, this is how you present your body as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual worship to your friends, your neighbors, even your enemies. This is actually what makes us the most attractive people on earth. People who aren't afraid to buck the status quo and love genuinely, even when it's not easy or popular. And this always wins out in the end. Jesus is the right side of history. So staying with him is always the right choice. But this is the exact opposite of the way the world wants to paint us. Sometimes we mess up and we aren't genuine and we don't do this. Let's be real. The church has, has messed up on this on plenty of occasions. But this is how we have to be. And here's how I want to sum it up for you in verse 10. Number three, love without conditions. Now, why am I summarizing verse 10 this way? Let's, let's unpack this verse. Loving one another with brotherly affection. What is that? Well, in the original Greek, Paul actually combines two of the Greek words for love and creates a, his own word for love here in this, in this verse. Okay? Paul was that guy. He was the smartest guy in the room. And as he was being led of the Holy Spirit to say something, he created his own word by fusing those two Greek words together. So the word that he created was phileostorge. Phileostorge. You'll see that in the Greek New Testament. And it's literally the Greek word for phileo, which is love between friends, and the Greek word of love, storge. Phileo is the kind of love where you like that person. Like I, like, I love that guy. I love that guy. He's funny. <laughs> you know, that, that's what we're talking about. Like, 
And, and in the Bible, we see God has agape love for us where he chose us. We did nothing, but he chose us even as we were unlovely. And it's an amazing, comforting thought to know that God loves us in that way with agape love. We're also told in the New Testament that God loves us with phileo love. He didn't just choose to love the unlovely. He actually also really likes what he created in you. Like he likes you, your personality, the way that you were created. He likes you. That kind of love. Phileo love. And then we have storge love. And this is like the maternal, motherly, deep, affectionate love. Like a mother loves her baby. Did her baby do anything to her besides cause her pain in the delivery at that point? <laughs> Nothing yet. But she already automatically has an innate sense of deep love for her child. Okay? So Paul has taken both these words together. And he said... This is the love that we are to have. This is a genuine love. And then he includes it with Philadelphia, brotherly love. So really this sentence is like saying, love, love, and do this deeply as brothers and sisters. We're talking about all this love <laughs> right here. The brotherly love component is in there. And that's also all we see sometimes. That's all we think about. Also, it can be challenging when you read this verse about love as brothers and sisters because some of us come from very messy families, right? And not everyone has experienced love from their father or love from their mother or love from their brothers or sisters the way it's supposed to be. You, you have a broken family and, and you have a lot of selfishness and hurt and pain when you start thinking about the love that your family hasn't really shown to you. So for all of you here, we're, we're not talking about a broken, distorted family. We're talking about a healthy kind of brotherly love. And in a healthy family, if your sibling develops a problem, you don't give up on them. If your parents become needy in their old age, you don't say, all right, well, you know, I don't have a place for this in my life. No, you don't say that at all. You don't just send them off. Like, what you should be doing is rearranging your life to take care of your parents. They took care of you when you were young, and now it's your turn to take care of them, right? Like, that's love. If your kid causes problems at school and starts to develop an annoying characteristic, you don't just call them in and say, hey, listen, this isn't working out. We're done. <laughs> Pack your bags out of this house. No, no, like we work it out. We work through it with them because your family, this is your child. You love them. In family, the problems experienced by one family member become the problems of every family member. And this is why love doesn't even need to be reciprocal. Like, I love you because you're family. And even if your mom, even if your dad, even if your brother or sister doesn't love you back, you don't stop loving them. I love how C.S. Lewis says, love is never wasted, for its value does not rest upon its reci reciprocity. It's constant. It's not tied to performance. It's love without conditions. This is what Christians in the body of Christ should be like. So honest question. Is this how you love? It's really that simple. 
Is this how you would describe your commitment to the body of Christ and to all of your neighbors that you were to be shining light to? How many people do you love like this? Do you see now how weighty that first sentence was? Let your love be genuine. Too many of us don't think this way. And, and <clears throat> your love for the body of Christ, the church, is more comparable to the love that you would have for something totally way less powerful and impactful. Let's be honest, right? There's a lot of people who, who their love for the church really comes down to like it's kind of the same level as my adult kickball league, right? Like it's, it's one night a week, not that high of a commitment. I enjoy it. There's some laughs. You know, I'm giving my energy to it a little bit. You know, there's some benefits for, for me in this. But it's not that high on my list of priorities, right? If something else comes up, I can miss Monday night kickball. <laughs> that sounds terrible, but let's be real. There's a whole lot of people who claim to love Jesus, and that's the way they treat the church. Sometimes it's like your commitment to a new season of your favorite show on the Food Network, since we're talking about the Food Network earlier today. I mean, you know, at the beginning of that season, it's fresh. You're discovering all the new cooks. But as the season goes on, you find out, ooh, there's some things I don't like about this person. And no, I don't like the way they did that. I don't like their, I don't like their baking technique here. And you slowly, like, disengage. You don't like the decisions the judges are making. Does that sound familiar at all? In, in like a church relationship, the more you get to know people, oh, they have flaws too? Uh, as if you don't have flaws. <laughs> so it's easy on a cooking show, just flip the channel, right? Turn it off. Watch something. Go, do, go for a walk outside, please. But we're talking about the church. We're talking about genuine love. And if you don't have that love, the church isn't going to be something that people crave. It's not going to be something that people desire. I need that. Not even close. So your relationship to the church should be like family, a healthy family, where you show up to dinner not just because, you know, of your mother-in-law's meatballs, because you could, you know, take it or leave it. It's not what's on the menu that's drawing me to this family meal. It's because the family is here. This is where I belong. And for that matter, leaving a church and going to a new one should be a serious decision. There, I'm not saying there's not a place for it. There definitely is. But it's weighty because you were literally leaving one family and, and plugging yourself into another and joining another. Do families get toxic? Yes, they do. And there are times where you have to set guardrails and protect your family from your extended family. All of that comes into play. So don't take this illustration too far, right? But wherever God leads you to be in church, it should be like a healthy family. A family that you love without conditions where you're involved in something that reaches out to love others without conditions. Worship team, you can come up right here. When another family member doesn't love and do their part, you feel that, right? We all do. Someone else has to pick up the slack. 
But the best way to shine the glory of God and to show the love of God in this world is to love genuinely. The only thing that will make the church the most attractive thing in the world to be a part of, if you haven't figured it out by now, it's genuine love. So love genuinely, love enough to tell the truth, and love without conditions. It's not about what we're against, it's about who we are. And when you become that person in the body of Christ, that's when you're an attractive person. It's all because of Jesus' love for you. It's not about what you're against. It's about who you are. And who you are is because of the love of God. And when you know Jesus, you know love. So the more you focus on what Jesus did for you, he came to this earth, lived a sinless life, suffered and died, gave himself so that you may have life, so that you can have forgiveness of sins. That's the gospel. That's the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate picture of love in Jesus Christ. And he didn't just picture it, he lived it. And he gives it to you. Would you stand up, church? We're going to sing about this. And I know this was a convicting message for me, most definitely, and I hope it was for you too. But if you know Jesus, you know love. And you can love genuinely. about the topic of this sermon or if you would like someone to follow up with you about applying this to your life please reach out to us at info at doxaupstate.church you are loved